Welcome to episode 77 of the Women of the Military podcast. This week, my guest is Nicole Smith. She served in the Coast Guard for over 20 years and recently retired. At the time of the recording, she was on terminal leave, so she's kind of in the in-between part of being off active duty, but still sort of in the military. We met at the Military Influencer Conference last September, and it was really exciting to meet her and to hear about how excited she was about the work that I was doing and to be able to talk to her about what she was about to face as she transitioned out of the military and what she had planned for the future. In this interview, we talk about what her experience was like to join the Coast Guard, to be married to someone who is also in the Coast Guard, and to have kids. We also dove into talking about her mental health struggles. She was very open and honest about her mental health and how she has come to overcome the issues that she's faced. So it's a great episode and I think you'll learn a lot. So let's dive right in. You are listening to the Women of the Military podcast, where we share the stories of female service members and how the military touched their lives. I'm your host, military veteran, military spouse, and mom, Amanda Huffman. My goal is to find the heart of the story and uncover issues women face while serving in the military. If you want to be encouraged by the stories of military women and be inspired to change the world, keep tuned for this latest episode of Women of the Military. Hey everyone, before we start this week's episode, I wanted to celebrate with you and let you know that this podcast just hit 20,000 downloads and I'm really excited to hit this milestone and I can't wait to see where the podcast goes next. So thank you for listening, thank you for the support, and enjoy this new episode. Nicole is a born and raised California girl and so am I, so gonna be fun to talk to another Californian. Currently transplanted on the coast of Virginia, she is a proud wife, mom, foodie, and ocean lover. She is a military veteran turned life coach and mental wellness advocate. She recently retired as a senior petty officer after 20 years of honorable service in the U.S. Coast Guard. While serving for our country, she silently fought a battle to remain in control of the anxiety and depression that overcame her. Finally hitting rock bottom was the breakthrough where her own transformation journey began. It was her blessing in disguise and led her to discover her true worth and how to heal her life. Her path to healing transformed her so deeply that she decided to retire from her successful military career Connecting to a new purpose, she created Navigate Your Freedom and is now serving the military community in a new way by helping women who are burnt out from the military lifestyle to become just as committed to themselves as they are for their country. I'm so excited to talk with you today. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Amanda. I'm so happy to be here. And we met at the Military Influencer Conference in September and... It was really cool because we got to do a networking lunch and talk about what both of us are working on and we're so in line with like our dreams and our vision and we're just attacking it from a slightly different way. So I'm excited to not only learn more about what you did in the military, but what you're doing today. Oh my goodness. Likewise. Yep. It was such a great meeting. Let's go way back to when you decided to join the military and why did you decide to join? It's actually a very interesting story. I come from a military family. Both my mom and dad were in the army and that's I was actually born in Barstow, California because they were stationed there at the Army National Training Center. So it was always impressed upon me to join the service or be part of ROTC, but it was just never my thing and never wanted any part of it. But it wasn't until after graduating high school and my plans for college kind of fell through. Uh, My mom kind of snapped at me. I was like, well, you're not gonna just sit on the couch all summer, so you better figure out something to do. And my high school boyfriend and I at the time, we took a trip down to Catalina Island, which is off the coast of California there, off of Long Beach. And we were just kind of sitting, relaxing on the beach. And we saw a big white ship that had an orange helicopter hovering over it. And we're like, hmm, what is that? That looks pretty interesting. And we quickly learned that it was the U.S. Coast Guard. 
And so the following Monday, we were at the recruiter's office finding out everything we needed to know about the Coast Guard. And we were shipping off to boot camp that Friday. That Friday? Yes, it was quick. And I literally like told my mom that Wednesday in between. <laughs> wow. So you went from hanging out on the beach in Catalina and then to the recruiter's office. And then they're like, all right. You're going to go. So had you already taken the ASVAB in high school? Is that how it was so quick? Yes. Yep. That was kind of part of one of the things that we did. There was like the SATs, ASVABs. You kind of just took them all, um, which was nice because, you know, I felt like a lot of the students that I went to school with were kind of uncertain of what their paths were. So it was a nice segue to be able to know like, okay, am I going to college or did I really have like successful scores and maybe military was the path. So it was definitely a nice way to just be able to have it all done. That's really cool. So you kind of had like an army background, but it didn't appeal to you. What about the Coast Guard made you and your boyfriend decide that that was a good idea? Well, I know for, I don't want to speak for him, but for me personally, it definitely came down to the missions. I hold so much just love and honor for all of the branches of the service, but really what just called to me about the Coast Guard was the mission to rescue and save. And not only that, but all of our work is here on the home front. So while yes, there are opportunities to deploy overseas, we remain here and we protect from the states. Um, so there was just some big differences there. And that was probably the biggest thing was just it connecting to something within me of wanting to help and rescue others. So you headed off to boot camp. Is your boyfriend now your husband? No. So we actually, so he and I actually broke up about a year after uh, joining the military, you know, just living in two different places and just new experiences and things. And ironically enough, he got out after six years. And so even though I guess you could say I followed him in because it was more he that was um, very excited about it, it actually became my career. And so, yeah, he got out after six years and um, I completed. So you went to boot camp and what was your career field when you were in? Was it the same the whole time or did you switch around? Um, so actually when I joined the Coast Guard, I was really excited about our health services field. So the health technician. And so when I got to my first unit, I actually put my name on the school list to go um, be a health service technician. But the wait was so long. It was an almost a two year wait. I wanted something else. And one of the things that was suggested to me, because what at the unit that I was at, one of my responsibilities was um, a watchstander. And I just enjoyed so much being on the radio and being like the first voice that mariners heard. So like if they were in distress and something was wrong, I was the first voice that they heard and was, you know, the, kind of like the reasoning behind keeping them calm and letting them know like rescue was on the way. It was suggested that I look into at the time, it was our telecommunications specialist rate. And so they were the ones that are there behind the scenes, you know, on the radios. And so that's what I did. And within a month, I received my orders and I shipped off to telecommunications ACE school. Right, because you just triggered a memory that the Coast Guard doesn't do it like a lot of the branches where you have your job and you like wait for that slot to open up. You go to boot camp and then when you get to your base, then you pick your job and you wait for your tech school. We do both. There are some that, you know, from sitting in the recruiter's office, there are some of our ratings that are in such high demand that you can actually sign up. And so you go to boot camp straight to a school, but that's not what I did at the time. I actually went from boot camp to a unit first, which I am so grateful for because it allowed me just extra experience to be able to really see what it was that I wanted to do. And um, so if, I think if it weren't for that, then I may have ended up in a field that I really wasn't you know, connecting with. I know. I think it's kind of an interesting way to do it where you get some time like as an enlisted troop at an actual base, learning a little bit about the culture and what the different jobs are from real people and not just the recruiter who's like, you should do this. Exactly. Because they have a quota to fill. And no, you actually, yeah, you get to go out and put hands on, you know, experience behind a job. 
So you headed off to a school about a month or so after you got, or after you put that package in? I put my request in um, and got my name on the list. My, na- my name was only on the list for about a month until I received orders and went off to school. But I was at the first unit for almost two years. That was a good amount of time to get your feet under you. So then you went off and you did a school. And then where did you go what was your first assignment? First unit was actually in Coos Bay, Oregon. So it's just a tiny little fishing town um, up on the northern coast of Oregon. And I mean, that was extreme shock coming from a small desert city in Southern California, then up to like this little fishing town. Um, but after that, my our tr- the training center that I actually attended was in Petaluma, California. And after graduating with my MOS, I was then stationed not too far away, but in Point Reyes, California. And I did a few years there. And then from there, I actually transitioned over to, it was at the time called Activities New York. They're now called Sectors. And it was in that transition that my rate changed. The Coast Guard did a a big merger and combined a lot of rates, got rid of a lot of rates and created the operations specialist rate, which I know that is um, very similar to the Navy. The Navy has the operations rate as well. And that is what I then became in 2003 um, while serving in New York. It was after New York, I was assigned to my first underway platform and did some deployment time. And um, that was out of Charleston, South Carolina. That was actually then where I also met my husband. And from there together, we moved to Miami, Florida, have gone back to California. Then we moved to Houston, Texas, and currently are now in Portsmouth, Virginia. So you moved moved around a lot. Oh, yes. They bounced us back and forth. Um, you know, they talk a lot about stability or at least trying to keep you, you know, on the same coast. But no, every single time I transferred, it was from one coast to the other. That's kind of funny. It's like sometimes what they tell you is like not even close to what actually happens when you're on active duty even if like that's the norm for everybody else it's like it's it's not always the case when you're on active duty so you talked about you were out at on a ship right correct yep. so which kind of ship and like how big was it and what were you doing so for the coast guard um we at the time it was the largest platform that we had outside of our icebreakers But I was on our high endurance cutter, which is 378 feet. I was attached to the Coast Guard Cutter Dallas um, out of Charleston, South Carolina. And the majority of our missions were affecting um, like law enforcement, drug enforcement, migrant operations and things like that. So really just kind of protecting the coast and doing more like Southern patrols and things like that. So did you have any like cool or interesting stories from your time out at sea? Well, I guess interesting story would be the fact that I met my husband. We are what you call an inappropriate relationship. Um, So that was uh, definitely quite interesting and unexpected to say the least. But as far as just the mission as a whole, um, it was just unique because it was the first underway platform that I was assigned to. So I had already been in the Coast Guard for six, almost seven years by the time I was assigned to an underway platform. And I was a first class already at the time. So that's pretty far in your career to be first getting that experience. Um, So there were both a lot of challenges but also some just really good learning moments that came from that experience because of when it came to me, like when I was afforded the opportunity to actually do it. So you said inappropriate relationship. Is it because you were out at sea or because of rank or what was inappropriate about it? At least for the Coast Guard, an inappropriate relationship is when a relationship is formed between two members assigned to the same unit. So when you are... under the same command, you have the same CO, it is considered inappropriate. But yes, I was also senior ranking as well. So when it came down to it, um, I actually went to MAST. Um, I 
had to stand in front of the CEO in the nice green tablecloth and was masted because I was the senior member and should have known better. Wow. So it was really serious. Not just like, you know, sometimes they're like, oh, you shouldn't be dating. Like, it was a big deal. Oh, yeah. It was a big deal. I mean, it was huge. And it was the, one of those moments where you're just like, holy crap, like, did I just ruin my entire career? You know, because I mean, at the time that he had the opportunity to demote me in rank, he could have, you know, taken pay. There were so many things that could have happened. He and I were actually very lucky enough that it didn't happen because during interview, we both had masked representatives that were assigned to us. And during the interview process, apparently both said that if we were afforded the opportunity outside of the military to continue our relationship, would we? And we both answered yes, unbeknownst to each other. And so when I was standing there in front of the captain that was kind of presented, he's like, sometimes you can't help, you know, who you fall in love with. And he's like, for the remainder of the patrol, stay away from each other. And as soon as we pull back in, one of you will be leaving. And at the time it was my husband, they actually, they sent him off and we were able to continue our relationship, which he is now my husband and we've been married for almost 13 years. So I guess the joke's on them. Well, it sounds like they were understanding and they were like doing their due diligence. Once they found it was like a real thing, they were like, okay, well, stay away from each other. But when we get back to the ship, we'll make it so that you can make it work. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, and I, it's one of those things too, that it's doesn't always pan out that way. I mean, I've seen very similar situations, you know, where the, the members are married as well, but one of them did get in trouble. Like they did have, you know, their rank um, busted down and things like that. So I just feel very grateful that ours didn't go that way. And that we did, yes, have a captain at the time that was very understanding of it because he didn't have to be. Yeah. So like, did you guys meet like right at the beginning of your tour or because it sounds like it got serious really fast. It did. He and I actually met on my first deployment. So I had just arrived to the ship and it was about halfway into that deployment that he and I met during one of our port calls. We just so happened to have mutual friends that were already kind of like in a group together. So when we kind of just showed up at the same place, he and I just, you know, struck up conversation and the rest is history. Yeah. How quickly after you guys got home, did you end up getting married? And did you have to spend any like time being separated? Yes, so we did. So um, when we came home from that deployment, um, as I had mentioned, they sent him off to another unit. And he was actually sent up to Yorktown, Virginia, while I remained in Charleston. And so we did the, I guess you could say long distance thing for a while. And I mean, we just made do with what we could. We saw each other when I was in port, or when he could get leave and things like that, and just continue to visit each other. And it wasn't shortly thereafter that he actually received orders to Jacksonville, Florida. And we continued with our long distance. And I don't want to get too far ahead if you have a question, but we actually ended up, let's see, we were dating that way for almost about a year and a half. And it was in December of 2006, we actually found out that we were pregnant. And so I was removed from the ship because obviously you can't serve aboard when you are pregnant. So I was removed from the ship and I was sent to Miami, Florida. Um, the Coast Guard at the time, we had to do some finagling and working things out. But his detailers or our assignment officers, I guess, is what is a better way to, to call it. We were able to communicate with the assignment officer and let them know the situation and they ended up moving him down to Miami, Florida. And so we ended up getting married and then welcomed our first child together as a family while we were stationed in Miami. That's really interesting. So you were talking about like being in and out of port. So were you on a monthly rotation, like three months home, three months away, or what was it like? That's pretty much how it goes. Sometimes it could obviously change depending on mission requirements and things like that. But yes, it, it's for us, is it rotational basis? It's, we're not gone for 
an extremely long period of time, or I guess it's where we kind of differ as well from the other branches is, you know, where you may have like a year long deployment um, and you're gone that entire period of time. Ours is, you know, you're in three months, you're out three months, you're in three months, you're out two months, you're in, you know, one month out for four months. So it's like this continuous rotation of an in and out deployment period. That doesn't sound like you have like a lot of stability because it's not like I said, it's not like three months, three months. It's like it's like always changing. And was that like a hard tour to be on where you're like, I mean, you didn't have kids or really you had a boyfriend, but I think at the time, you know, kind of going back to even being assigned to it at that point in my career to begin with, I think it all being able to look back at it now it was all in its own like perfect timing because like you said, I didn't have children at the time. So it was perfect to be able to go out. Yes, it was hard leaving home, hard, you know, knowing that I was missing, you know, holidays or different things with like family and stuff. But, you know, at the time it was just myself you know, to come home to. So it really didn't seem that bad. It actually kind of gave me something to look forward to because then when I was underway, that's where most of my friends were. They were underway with me. And it was just, it was an amazing experience because we were able to just see and go to different places that I never would have experienced. But also just some of the missions that we were able to do, you know, it really just added to the sense of pride that I had for my service, but also just humbled me as a person with things that I did see, you know, in other places. And then you said that when you got pregnant, you had to get pulled off the ship. Is that something that you think could like negatively affect a woman's career because you can't be out on a ship while you're pregnant? Or is that just the way it is? So yes, for at least for the Coast Guard, you cannot serve longer than your first trimester underway. And that's just for basically the woman's safety is because, you know, if you're out at sea and you're affecting a mission where, you know, if something were to go wrong, they may not be able to provide you the care in due time. Like, so it's really just comes down to, you know, one, the protection of the military member. And then also, you know, I guess you could say like, it protects the military as well from something going wrong on their end and being held responsible for it. But that being said, you know, it doesn't restrict you from once the child is born to be going to go back underway. Is there any like in the Air Force, I know for sure, there's like a year before you can go on, not before you can go, but a year of time that you don't have to deploy after you have a child. Does the Coast Guard have something similar or is it like you get your maternity leave and then you're back on rotation? They've just changed everything. This is very recent, like within this um, this year, as a matter of fact, where they changed our maternity and paternity policies. But yes, when I was having, when I was in that period, when I was having my children, it was 45 days of maternity leave and then you were back to work. And that was wherever your assignment was. Wow. That's kind of crazy. 45 days is very long. Is that like six weeks? Yeah, it was like a month and a half. Now it has doubled. It's there around 85 days of maternity leave, which is much better. Um, but now they, they are mimicking some of the other branches where you have like a year after the child is born to not be deployed or to also work out a better work schedule. So, you know, if there are certain needs that you need to maybe telework or if you're needing to balance out hours because of child's care and things like that they are now by policy required to kind of like work with you on that. And it's just, it's so much better. They, the Coast Guard in 2018, I believe is when it was done, they actually did a retention study for women in the Coast Guard because they were seeing a huge decline. So they did a study to try and really get an idea of a lot of the reasons why women were separating. And so this particular instance being one of the biggest reasons why women were getting out, they started to fill the need and see the gap um, to help military women stay in. Yeah. And I think all the branches are looking at that and seeing that because I know that women get out of the military at like double the rate of men. And so they're trying to figure out why. And I think the maternity leave and the year is a big, because for me, when I was getting out, 
it was six months and I was like, I can't leave at six months. Like I just can't do it. And a year might've changed my mind. I don't know. Cause it was a real possibility that at six months I would deploy. And I was like, I just, I can't do that. <laughs> and that, especially with my husband still being in, it was like just all the factors. And so it's, it's nice to see that they're making changes and trying to help women stay in the military and make it more possible. So well, it is so. I mean, even like you were saying, six months. You know, most women, um, if they're capable and able to, they're they're still nursing. So you know, that's a hard thing, and that's definitely another change that you know, at least with the Coast Guard, and I believe it's um, all the services. But now they are actually helping women who are nursing to be able to ship back their pumped milk, and I was like, that is one of the coolest things that I've seen, you know, and being able to even help cover the supplies that are required to pump. So really just, you know, advocating for, you know, being parents in the military, which I think is amazing. Yeah. I don't want to not get a chance to talk about your struggle with anxiety. So I'm going to kind of fast forward to that part and just, you can tell your story like when it started and then how you went through it. And then I'll probably jump in with questions or I might let you talk. We'll just see how it goes. Actually, I would have to say I probably, without even knowing about it, struggled with anxiety and some level of depression even before coming into the military. Being able to look back and really have a good understanding now, um, I'd have to say it probably started when while I was in high school. There were just some experiences and things like that that happened that really triggered a lot of things and being able to identify now makes sense to like even being diagnosed with PTSD and certain things. I feel highly associated, you know, with experiences that started then, but it was then coming into the military and, you know, you do all this awesome training, right? You go through boot camp and you get prepared. You go through your MOS and you get trained and things like that. But there are just a lot of other aspects that you're really just not trained or prepared to endure. So like one of the things for me that I have talked about in the past is like at my first unit was a large search and rescue unit. So, you know, the most of the missions that we were called out on was you know, because people were in distress, like their vessels were sinking, or, you know, there were people that were caught in heavy surf and were being washed out. And, you know, so when you're new to the military, and you're joining, you know, straight out of high school, like I did, I was 18 years old, you know, affecting these search and rescue missions, where sometimes they weren't a rescue, and they turned into a recovery. And nobody prepares you at such a young age to go out and recover bodies, you know, and I think that that's the same in the other branches of the service as well is, you know, you're trained to operate a weapon, you know what you're going to be doing with that weapon, but nobody prepares you for what happens thereafter, you know, at such a young age and things like that, and having that happen. And even on some of our most mass rescues, services were offered, you know, was it was offered, you know, would anybody like to talk to the chaplain or would anybody like to talk to anybody? But you know, when I'm looking around and the majority of my shipmates, actually, I'm not even the majority, but all of my shipmates are saying, no, we're good. Like they have already built up such resistance to it that for them, it didn't phase them. It was like, who am I to raise my hand and be like, um, yeah, this sucks. And I'm kind of scared, you know? So I internalized a lot of that and I began to just kind of hold it all within and early on in my career, that's, I really feel where a lot of just some of like those dark places were was because of that. Things that I had experienced through high school and just trauma and stress and then affecting that and having all of that compounded onto me and not talking about it, not working through it. So I, I feel that that's really where it began. Yeah, I think that's really a good point because I think if you think about most of the military members, especially the ones who are out fighting or, you know, out on the ship or like out doing the mission and not in the leadership position, we are really young because officers are in their like early 20s and enlisted troops are like 18 to like 25. And so it it's really true. And that culture of I'm fine, like I don't need to talk to anyone is it's instilled into you even though when I came home from my deployment it was all one-on-one I still felt like 
I couldn't tell anyone like what was going on. And even though I was getting out, I still didn't feel like I could tell people what was going on. Actually, I guess I wasn't getting out then. I just, it's a weird dynamic that the military, they kind of teach you like just keep pushing forward and keep moving and like talk about emotions. Who does that? No one. Oh my goodness. Exactly. And so I'll use that as a segue if that's okay. So as I began to progress through my military career, and began to advance, that was exactly it. It was, you know, one, you're trying to navigate a career in the military as a woman, which you face already, you know, certain things that others just don't. But then when you are then also tackling like mental health issues and dealing with anxiety and depression, I've always been a very emotional person. You know, when I'm passionate about something, you don't just hear it in my voice, but you'll see it in my face because my eyes will begin to tear up. And it's not that like, you know, I'm going to cry. It's just that I'm extremely passionate. You know, I find it so important. And there were a few times in my career where I would then have somebody say, you need to just stop being so like such a crybaby, or you need to suck it up. You need to grow a backbone. You, If you're going to, you know, go anywhere in the service, like you need to, you know, stop being, you know, so emotional. And so it was, I was always being shut down on, I guess you could say like who I was, like, that's just my human nature is how I respond. I'm an, I am able to see that now, like I'm such an empath. So I would absorb a lot of what was happening around me. And so to always be shut down and told that emotions were not okay, or that emotions were a sign of weakness, or if I proceeded that way, that I was not going to be a good enough or strong enough leader, that is really where I believe that things kind of began to take like such a tipping point and started leading down like a really dark place of depression. Yeah. And so in the bio, you said you finally hit rock bottom and that's where your breakthrough came from. And so can you talk a little bit about if there was like something that triggered you to hit rock bottom or if it was just something that just happened and then how you came forward? I actually ended up in my career. This was after already having children. So with all my children at some level experience, even postpartum depression. So, you know, it was, I was already tackling anxiety, a normal sense of depression, was suffering with some PTSD, then became a mother and, you know, was then dealing with it on like other levels. It was just, I constantly felt like a hot mess and it was after having my third child and I was at a unit where I was working night shifts and so not even having adequate sleep, like not even knowing like what side was up anymore, barely sometimes getting through a day with only two hours of sleep and running just off of pure adrenaline. I found myself in an extremely dark place and actually started having really intense suicidal ideation. There would be moments like where I would actually be driving to work and would visualize myself just driving into like the concrete barrier and it wouldn't even bat an eye to it. It was just like, oh, like I wonder if somebody would care. It was actually in the summer of 2015. I was up in Dallas for what was supposed to be a really fun girls weekend and actually wound up in the hospital and I was in their emergency room and I remember it so vividly, like just being covered with like a crisp white sheet, you know, super sterile, hooked to just all the machines, having my heart rate monitored because I felt like I was dying. I thought I was having a heart attack. So just constantly like just listening to the machines around me beeping, the blood pressure cuff going off, you know, and, and all of this nonsense and just being absolutely terrified. And the doctor came in. And he sat on the edge of my bed and this I'll never forget, but he started taking notes in the ledger and, you know, he was saying that on paper, that experience was going to be documented as a severe anxiety attack. But then he looked over at me and he placed a hand like softly on the shin of my leg. And he's like, but honey, what you really suffered from was a broken heart. And it was the first time that somebody saw through all the lies and all the BS that I was trying to like exude, like all of these walls and all these barriers and somebody for the first time saw the pain. And I, it just, it, it released. Like I just started crying and it was just so good to finally have somebody see me and call me on it. And I knew in that moment that if I 
didn't get help, that if I didn't change this path or this trajectory that I was on, that I was just going to become another number to our statistic of 22 soldiers a day that we lose to suicide. And not only that, but that I felt like I was also following a family legacy because suicide runs in my family, mental health runs in my family, alcoholism, drug abuse. And I just, I literally felt like that in both ways, that if I didn't do something to change, I was just following the path. Wow. That's just so powerful that he like said something and how, I think that's like a reminder to everyone that like, we need to speak out and we think like, oh, it's not going to really make that big a difference. But like, those were just a few words spoken from his heart to like, hey, you're, you're in trouble. And I can see that. And he could have just been like, well, you just had a severe, and then you probably would have just gone on, but because he noticed you and it just shows the power of how important it is that we speak out, we watch our friends and we take that time to really see them and not just see the, you know, what they pretend to be, but like see deeply who they are. You know, I think about all the doctor visits that I've ever been to, you know, and I can't ever say that I've had somebody have that personal level of rapport. You know, it's like you said, it's very textbook. It's very, you know, methodical. It's just checking all the boxes and and doing, you know, what is right by, by paper. And yeah, for him to just approach me as a human being was huge. And so, and I'll add to this as well, because I mentioned, you know, that of needing help. So just to also set that straight is I had actually sought out services prior to this. I had utilized our EAP or the employee assistance program, and then also through Military One Source, um, had sought out support that way. I never went through medical and this kind of just ties back into like that stigma and that fear, right? I just didn't want it documented in my medical record because I was terrified of what that may look like or what people may see, or if they would send me, you know, for a mental health screening, if if I would lose my clearance, my job, you know, all of those things start building up, right? That's just another part of the anxiety. I'm always thinking about the worst case scenario, but I did seek out services twice and it just, it was not for me. And I say that it was not for me because I know so many shipmates and I have so many friends that work with therapists and counselors and have great experiences. So I know that it's possible and it's there, but for me personally, it wasn't what I was needing. It wasn't creating the change in my life that needed to happen because the first one that I went to, you know, I was, you know, sharing my experiences and I'm able to look back now and and recognize that that therapist was actually deflecting issues that maybe she had because she was trying to place blame on the men in my life. And I even remember thinking like, I didn't come here to point fingers. I didn't come here to place blame. Like I just have this going on and I want to be made whole. Like I'm wanting to work past this. How do I do it? But it was constantly like, oh, well, no wonder, you know, this is happening or things like that. And then the second time the person really didn't even have conversation. It was like, I would just come in and just talk, but there was never anything being drawn out. And I was like, well, if I want to just talk or continuously go over the same exact experience over and over again, like I can do that with myself. I can do that with a friend, but I wasn't needing an event session. Again, I needed somebody that was going to help me identify things and make a change. And that's what I found when I came home from that hospitalization in 2015, I began to actually research what other services were there, even outside of the military. And that's when I came across coaching. And I began to work with my own coach. And within about a month and a half of working with that person, I couldn't even recognize myself. It was like doing a 180. And it was because I wasn't only talking about the things that were bothering me, but we were getting to the root cause of them, but then changing my beliefs around them. And that was really like that, that turning point and shift in my life that things began to happen. And I began to also identify and see the need for that type of services for our military members. Yeah. And that's a really good point because I think that's one of the saddest parts about suicide is that people 
know they need help. And then when they're at the point where they can still reach out and get help, they go and either the counselor is not good or it's just not the right fit. And because TRICARE is really limiting on like who you can see, if you're like have a tight budget or you can't afford to do it or you're like not really sure if there's something wrong with you, you can like go and see someone and then not get help and just go further in the pit. And I think that there's, you know, there's other components to that as well is, you know, one, when you go through those services, you only get a certain amount of sessions, you know, so like you can maybe be making some progress and then all of a sudden your sessions are done and that's it. Or you're up for a transfer, right? You maybe you get like TDY orders or you get called out for, you know, um, an unprepared for mission and then you're gone and, you know, things change, life happens. And then when you come back, you're assigned to somebody new and you're starting all over again, you know? So there's never this sense of consistency. It never allows the member to actually build a sense of rapport so that they even are comfortable enough getting to the good stuff, right? To like getting where things really matter and they're, they're wanting to talk about. But I think the other aspect of it too, that now, like I'm also very aware of is and this is why I say like for some, it may really work because maybe they don't need that type of relation. But I know for me, that was it was that when I began to work with a coach, they were coaching me on experience. So the coach that I began to work with um, wasn't an active duty member, but did have military experience through family and things like that. So when I began to talk about it, that person was actually able to relate to me on such a different level than talking to me just on, you know, science and theory and, you know, medical, you know, knowledge and stuff like that. But also they were able to share that back with me and reflect back. Whereas, you know, when you're talking with psychologists and counselors and therapists and things like that, there is such a policy and standard on that patient doctor relationship where they're there to kind of see what's wrong with you to help you, but they're not there to share their experiences, you know? So even if they did, it's not in their nature or even in policy to be allowed to share it. So I feel like that's also like one of those big differences that really begins to make an impact. You know, like you're saying with having somebody, one, have the courage to say like, Hey, I'm struggling or I'm in this, this space is to then have somebody come back and not just say like, okay, well, let's figure out what's wrong with you. But be like, do you like, I was there. Like, I know how you feel. There's such a different type of relationship that gets built on having somebody say like, it's okay. I know how you feel. I was there, but I know the way out. Yeah. And I did a program called Celebrate Recovery, which is a faith-based 12-step recovery program. And it had that aspect of people who were in similar situations. They weren't exactly the same, but like when we shared our different experiences, like I could take away things from what they experienced and they could take. And so it was that healing process of not being alone because we were able to share like either successes or failures or where we had come from. And that helped like push me forward. And it was, uh, they give out coins for different milestones. So when I got my year coin, I had thought of things that I would say and I just started crying because I couldn't believe like how much change had happened in a year. And like now it's been like three and a half years and it's like I'm a totally different person and who I used to be. At the time when I started going, I was like, there's no hope for me. I'm never going to change. And it's amazing how you really can change like the way you react to things and the way that you think about things. And it does take a lot of hard work, but it's definitely worth it. I couldn't agree more. And I think that's kind of like the irony in it, right? Is when you're, when you're in the thick of it, when you're in that deepest, darkest space of just despair and struggle, whether it's with alcoholism or drug abuse or depression, PTSD, whatever it is, that is kind of like your beast, you feel so alone you feel so isolated. You feel like nobody will understand you. You carry such shame and resentment and judgment and embarrassment and just all of these things. But for me, like the irony of it all is like when I was 
trying to hide it and I was desperate to make sure nobody knew what I was dealing with is when I felt the most alone. But when I began to actually start sharing my story and what my experiences were is when I began to find community. And I mean, very similar to you, it's been about two years now that I have began opening up and speaking publicly about my, my mental health issues and struggles. And I would say like, I'm in the best place ever. And I can't even begin to just even think like the amount of people that are in my life because of being able to share my story that have come in and now have this newfound sense of community of just friends that are not only there at the drop of a dime, but they're my people. And it's because of that connection of, you know, sharing, you know, that we're not alone. And um, I think that it's just, it's just crazy sometimes how in life, like we go through these things and how it does make us feel. But like you were saying, like when you start going through those 12 step processes or you start getting yourself out of the hole, you just find like how strong you are. You find how, you know, you never were alone. And uh, it's just, it's such an amazing and powerful thing. That's awesome. We're running out of time, but I wanted to talk about your currently when we're recording this, you're on terminal leave. You just had your retirement ceremony last week. You're like kind of in this like limbo period where you're like still in the military, but you're not in the military because you're not going to work every day. So what has it meant to like serve your country for 20 years and to make it to retirement and now be in this phase of like switching it is extremely surreal. And I mean, you guys heard I joined straight out of high school. So it is such a tremendous transition because this is all I've ever known. You know, 18 years old to now 38, this is all I've ever known was this life in the military. And like right now, and I mean, I've had so many people ask me and like, there's, it's almost gotten to the point where like, I'm trying not to get frustrated because so many people ask like, oh, how's retirement? And you know, like I do like this deep soul searching because I'm waiting for like this huge epiphany or like this light bulb to be like, oh my gosh, like it's X, Y, Z. But no, like it literally just feels like I'm on leave. Like I'm expecting that, you know, Monday I'm going to get a call or tomorrow I'm going to get a call that I have to suit back up and go to work, you know, but it's not like that's not going to come. And so I'm still just very much in this phase of, okay, like, wow, like that chapter really is closing. Um, however, I'm actually just really excited and happy about it. Like, cause what I have found that is helping me is to write about it. And so I'm actually doing what I'm calling the diary of a retiree. And I'm documenting my first 30 days of transition. So literally just writing out what I'm feeling, what I'm experiencing, what I'm going through. And today, like I was actually um, writing mine before I jumped on here with you. And I was talking about how life just feels exciting right now. And it just feels like this tornado. And um, because it's just like, it feels like all of these experiences that I have gone through in life and all of the emotions, all of the strengths that I have ever created or have now become a part of me because of those experiences are kind of like swirling around in this tornado. And I don't know yet like how or when it's going to touch down, but I'm just trusting and believing that like when it does, like it's going to be awesome because, you know, as we mentioned, like I'm just so passionate about raising awareness around mental health and um, the stigma in the military and helping others around that, that I know that like all of those pieces that are being swirled up in this, this tornado per se, that when it finally lands, like it's just going to have just so much magnitude and beauty and um, really be able to just uh, change and affect so many lives. That sounds like such a great idea to like write down how you're feeling as you're going through that transition process, because like with time you forget about all those things and so that's I that's really cool I'm really excited about that and I can't wait to see when you put that all together in a book (laughs) well thank you and I mean and that's you know that's it is just you know we talk about knowing that we're not alone and so I know that I'm not the only one that's ever going to transition how many countless people are currently in transition right now and so I just figure like that's just in one more way that I can help others to be able to just see and relate and be like, oh my gosh, like, yeah, like 
that's totally how I feel because sometimes it's so hard to put to words what we're experiencing. So yeah, so there is that. Um, There is the book, as you kind of alluded to, I have a lot of things that are happening. So like I said, there's just so many things that are, I feel like being swooped up into like this personal tornado of mine. And like, they're all there, they're spinning around. I'm just not exactly sure like how they're all going to drop and play out, but I'm excited for when it happens. Yeah, me too. Can you tell us what you would tell women who are considering joining the military? So yeah, I have so many things. This could probably be a whole uh, just podcast like <laughs> session in its own. Um, but one, definitely, I mean, and this, I guess, is more towards the Coast Guard because that's what I know. And speaking to that experience of being a female in the service and not getting to serve underway until it was like pretty far into my career and I was already a senior member is to always push to get underway as early as you can. Because for the Coast Guard, that is really where you begin to understand not only the mission set, but it really just helps to set your career path up for for success. Um, So trying to just knock that out early and quickly also because it's very competitive for us. We don't have as much um, birthing space. There's not as many opportunities for a, a woman to get underway in the Coast Guard. So if you're able to tackle it and get it out of the way earlier on in your career, one, you're just going to continue with that upward progression of advancement. Two, you're going to be doing it while you're still young and single and without kids. So, you know, then you're not being pulled away and having that heart wrench, you know, of trying to do it, you know, when you've got kiddos at home. Um, but more importantly, what I would say with considering joining the military is especially as a young woman, you know, you're leaving high school, sometimes maybe even college, and you're so used to just a lot of like the clicks and the cattiness of just relationships at that point. Don't allow that to follow you or to be your norm when you come into the service. Find other women who just empower you and inspire you or be the woman who is empowered and start empowering those around you. Because that's really where you're going to just start affecting and making change and being able to just serve with continued confidence. And don't ever let anybody just dim your light and who you are to make you feel that emotions are not okay. Being a woman in the service is not okay. So just find those that you can lock arms with and rise together in the service. And just remember you're not alone. Yeah, that's great advice. It was really cool to hear another Coast Guard story and to hear about how your experience was and what you did and all the different things you got to do. And then just sharing about your mental health experience and like what you went through. I think that's so powerful. And I know I got chills when you were talking about it. So I'm really thankful that you took time out of your day to be on the podcast and to share your story. Well, thank you so much, Amanda. It's an absolute honor. I'm so glad that we had the pleasure of meeting each other back in September at the Military Influencer Conference. Um, but more importantly, just to be a guest here on your podcast, uh, Women in the Military, it's an absolute honor. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. I really, I really learned so much, and I'm so glad that we got a chance to talk. Me too. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Thank you for listening to this episode of Women of the Military. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss any of the amazing stories I have with women who have served in our military. Did you love the show? Don't forget to leave a review. Finally, if you are a woman who has served or is currently serving in the military, please email me at airmantomom at gmail.com so I can set you up to be on a future episode of Women of the Military. 